Talk 1110-993 WBT, the Pete Callender Show. So the audit out of Maricopa County of the election of 2020 uh, sounds like it gives everybody just enough so they don't have to abandon their previously held positions. Very convenient. Um, I asked before the break about the CISA. This is uh, the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the CISA. They have a series of best practices and guidelines that they've published for elections, and they say software and patch management in election systems is vital, okay? And I I said, when is the last time do you think Maricopa County did one of these security patches and updates? Here's what the audit found. It is clear there was no established program to patch the operating system or even update the antivirus definitions. Neither the operating system nor the antivirus had been patched or updated since August of 2019. Over a year and a half before the election, that was the last time they had gotten any kind of patch update. That was the date of the installation of the Democracy Suite software. The county released a statement that they were prohibited from updating the operating system that had they done so, it would have invalidated the certification issued by the Voter Assistance Commission for the Dominion software. This statement, however, is contradicted by the county's own actions following the installation of the Dominion software. Contrary to the claims that updating items on the election systems would invalidate the certification of the election system by the EAC, forensic analysis revealed that after the installation of the Dominion software in August 2019, four executable EXE packages were created, 45 EXE packages were updated and or modified, and 377 dynamic link libraries, or DLLs, were created as well. And if uh, and then over 1,000 dynamic link libraries got modified on the larger server. If updating the operating system, I know this is like very technical, I don't understand it all, but here's the here's the payoff. If updating the operating system with the patches and the upgrading antivirus stuff, like if that was going to invalidate your certification, then the county had already actually invalidated the certification prior to the 2020 election. Like this was their argument. The county said, well, we weren't doing these patches because it would totally invalidate the certification that we got. Like, okay, well, then why did you get all of these other updates done? Neither the security audit contracted by Maricopa County uh, noted these findings in their report. I'm reading this. Neither neither security audit. Okay. Neither security audit. So I guess there were two that were contracted by Maricopa County noted these findings in their report. So why would Maricopa County's own audit not turn this up? And this runs into an issue that we see a lot of times with audits. Audits are not necessarily trying to seek out corruption or, you know, evil or bribery and, and, and uh, embezzlement and that sort of stuff. This happens a lot. Like, for example, I recently worked up in Asheville in Buncombe County, and uh, the county manager up there uh, went down for corruption while I was up there. And, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, she was terrible. So, uh, yeah, they were using, like, the county gift cards and stuff like that. Uh, and, and just giving them around, they were like spending money on all these trips and everything going to, it doesn't matter. So they were, they were corrupt. 
a lot of people are in trouble and uh, she got uh, convicted in federal court. Um, and so part of the uh, uh, when you're looking back at how it went down, the county was getting audited. How did they pass all of their audits when this stuff was going on? And what the audit firms said in response at the time was something like, well, you know, we're not looking at this. We're just looking at the stuff they're giving us. And so if they give us bad stuff, we don't see it, which isn't really. <laughs> it's not, all right. It's not really. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know. It doesn't inspire confidence. Right. Uh, I got an email here, by the way, from uh, from Steve, who said, Pete, the Ponder boys. Yeah, one of them was Zeno Ponder. Uh, they were from Madison County, not Haywood. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. I knew as soon as I said one, it was going to be the other. I, I don't know why I always confuse Haywood with Madison, but it was in Madison County, the place of all the bridges. Um, and, yeah, so the Ponder boys, the Ponder machine up there in uh, in Madison County. Um, what else? I have another email here. I got three of them, actually, from David, who started writing. Okay, sorry, I'm just seeing these now, David. Uh, are you going to mention the fact that cyber ninjas and the state have the names of the individuals who deleted all the election files and records the day before the audit? Dun, dun, dun. I actually have mentioned that by the way. And there is, they do address that and the County has addressed it. See, this is one of the other things too. And this gets into a lot of, uh, my frustration with arguing with people who are wedded to a conspiracy theory is that simply asking a question and then ignoring answers that doesn't prove the theory. I'm not saying that's what David's doing, but it's just th- this is a common pattern. Like people, they ask these questions, but then when presented with an explanation, they don't believe your explanation. They don't accept it. And anybody who then flies in the face of this then becomes part of the conspiracy, right? Like that, that, that that's probably where I'll get thrown in at some point here. Um, so David says, I'm going to mention the presentation. They told the Senate they have the names and the screenshots of the Maricopa individuals altering and erasing election data. Is this not huge? The attorney general has the information now, right? So they did provide the Senate and the Senate has forwarded this stuff on as one of the recommendations. They gave it over to the attorney general, urging him to look into it. David followed up with then a link to the video. And then he followed up with another email from a a document here. Yes. And again, I've read the whole report and I have it here, the election management system. But again, reading the audit, Without reading the response, you're only getting half the story. So what they document here in Section 6.4.1 is that the Election Management System, or the EMS database, EMS, holds all details associated with the election. It was, quote, purged, and all of the election results were cleared by a results tally and reporting admin on February 2nd at 5.14 p.m., the evening before the pro v v audit was scheduled to officially start. This means that these results were not available for Pro V and V to perform any type of audit, nor were they available for Cyber Ninjas to review. The next day, Pro V and V then proceeded to add new tabulators for their audit, and they imported results into these tabulators, further clearing remnants of the database. It's worth noting that the Dominion software fully supports creating a full copy of an existing election project and if a clear database was required to perform the audit, uh, they could have first duplicated the existing stuff. So, um, and the auditors that were retained by Maricopa County, they never identified this finding in any of their reports. Okay. 
The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors was requested to explain the reasoning for this activity, but has chosen not to respond. Again, that's inappropriate. The county should respond to this. Now, they have since. I've got that. We'll get to that in a minute. First, we're going to get to Boomer Von Cannon for an update on the traffic county. Um, to David's point, the emailer, to David's point, yes, this stuff, some of these uh, findings have been referred to the attorney general by the state Senate leader. And uh, we'll find out what the attorney general comes up with. Because, again, just like I was before, like I'm a supporter of the investigation. So let's find out. And so if there are people that were purging or deleting bunches of files and stuff in order to cover their tracks, I want to know more about that, too. Um, here's what the county says. They say the county officials say that the uh, this is again from azcentral.com that the election management system was not purged and that the files were not deleted. The county archives items for space purposes if they don't want to run out of room. And they have archived everything from the November election on backup drives. But the Senate did not subpoena the county's archived data. So this, like, again, this is, uh, this is, these, I just gotta say, grow up. You know what they're looking for. You know what the point of this is. Why are you doing this? Right? They're doing it because they, they don't like the people doing the audit. They, you know, and I went over this at the beginning of the show. Like, I'm sure there are a bunch of people that are like, how dare you, you know, you Trump idiots, you Trump loving right wingers and all this stuff. Like, there's part of that going on. Sure. You got the media uh, swirl about all of it, too. But you also have bureaucrats that don't like to be questioned by mere plebs. Right. How dare you question me? Like, I know what I'm doing. You don't even have any experience in this area. I mean, these people do know something, something about uh, cybersecurity, and you guys don't know anything about that, apparently. This is a big deal. To me, this is a big deal. The cybersecurity, the CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency says managing your passwords. I know this is how stupid it is. But if you think about the, like, if you think about the profile of, you know, a lot of the elections workers, like, you know, yeah, probably the managing the passwords might not be. In their wheelhouse. <laughs> but here's the uh, section 65213. It says the, uh, the CISA states managing passwords and using strong passwords are important steps in preventing unauthorized access to databases, applications, and other election infrastructure assets. CISA further recommends that usernames be assigned to a specific person. Not, not, just to be clear, not be shared. It's not a good idea to share usernames. Also, you might want to swap out the usernames every three months on these types of highly critical systems. CISA actually recommends that multi-factor authentication be enabled for election systems. You know what that is? That's a uh, give us your phone number so we can text you the code. Multi-factor authentication. Like... I have it to pull up my my health benefits. You're telling me they don't have that at the election system? <laughs> what what are you doing? Key to the username and password concept is to be able to uniquely identify a user, assure authorized access by a given user, and to be able to hold 
that individual accountable for the actions performed by that assigned account. Yeah, it it helps you backtrack on stuff. Like, hey, who made this change? Oh, well, we can find out who because here they are right there. That's their username. They made that change. But when you give one username to 20 people and they're all using the same password, obviously, you have no idea who the person is that's using the account. In the case of the Maricopa County election system, None of these guidelines were actually followed. Neither security audit contracted by Maricopa County noted this in their finding in their uh, this finding in their report either. So what kind of an audit did Maricopa County do? Right? How come these guys, these ninjas are turning up all of this stuff and your own audit didn't turn this stuff up? Are you guys a little uh are you a little sore? You mad, bro, about that? Is that going on here? Is that, is a little bit of that going on like you're mad that your own audits got shown to be inadequate let's say maricopa county get this generic username accounts were created as part of the dominion software installation of august of 2019 these accounts were not assigned to a specific individual but appear to have been shared accounts based on function not individual accountability neither security audit contract uh, or con neither security audit contracted by maricopa county noted this in their report unique passwords were not created for each account. I'm going to say that part again. Unique passwords were not created for each account. So not only do you have one account being used by a whole bunch of people, but you've got multiple accounts for different functions. Like, for example, like all of the, I'm going to do radio because I don't know the election system, but let's say you got all of the salespeople they all share one account, and it's, you know, sales at WBT. And then you got all the on-air people, and we're all programming at WBT. And then you got all of the uh, news people or whatever. I mean, they're all, you know, news at WBT. Like, And then they, so those are the individual usernames, and all of the salespeople use the one account. All of the news people use one account. All the hosts use one account. But then all the passwords for news at WBT, for hosts at WBT, for sales at WBT, all of those have the same password too. So I could literally go into any one of those other accounts and I could read stuff, I can delete stuff, I do whatever. It's the same access. They didn't even set up different passwords? Like, seriously, like, what's next? Like, the passwords, one, two, three, four, five, right? That, like, that's the next thing that's going to come out. Like, they all had the same password, one, two, three, four, five. That's just a random password. I just came up with It's what I got on my luck. Why am I late? That's Ram Jam. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so the last thing, I swear, this is the last thing. But look, I think this is really important. You can't spend a year denigrating people for questioning the election or questioning the election. You can't spend a year doing that kind of stuff, screaming at your Facebook monitor, um, and then ignore the attempt at an audit. Right. And when I say like that, and that goes for both sides, like I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to both sides this thing. Right. I'm just saying that people who dismissed any calls for uh, credibility, authenticity for an audit you know, you need to read what these guys found, too. How do you explain this? How do you justify a- an election system that gives 
everybody in a certain function. So if you're like a poll worker, you get poll worker at dominion.com or whatever it is. Like you get this credential to get in and everyone has the same password regardless of function. And everybody inside the function has the same username. This is a terrible idea. Terrible idea. The uh, unique passwords were not created for each account. Just to be clear, they say the same password was used for all the accounts. If there was, in fact, a password. So some of these didn't even have passwords. The action violates every principle of password management guidelines uh, as published in every cybersecurity framework that currently exists. And then here are the list of accounts and the corresponding passwords. And then they blacked them out so you can't see. But the four characters of passwords, they've been masked for security. But all four are the same. Furthermore, they say these passwords had not been changed since the Dominion software suite had been installed in August of 2019. So think about that. Anybody who leaves the employment of this entity they still could have access because the usernames and passwords, if they even had any passwords, persisted. This is insane. So this is, and that's what I mean. Like you guys, you didn't prove, like in my estimation, there's, there's no proof here that the election was rigged, that Trump actually won. Like none of that stuff is borne out in this audit. I don't see that in any of the results and I've gone over them now. This is now my third time reading through the report with you, but uh, well, two times on my own, but this is the third. I don't see proof. I don't see, and even they say there's no reliable evidence that fraud occurred in the paper balloting side. This stuff here, this warrants more review because I don't know what I don't know, right? I like, I'm, I'm sorry to get all Rumsfeldy in here, but there are unknown unknowns here for me. I do know that this, this is stupid. I don't know any other way to say it. I don't know what kind of operation you're running if this is, in fact, true. And by the way, I didn't see any response from the county uh, on how they explain this. So I I don't believe there is really uh, an explanation. Now, on the, um, because I mentioned this earlier, the the intentional deletion of the files. This happened before the audit occurred. First off, dumb idea, shouldn't have done it, right? Second thing, though, is that they say that the Senate did not ask for this stuff in their subpoena, and so therefore we didn't provide it. But we still have all the backups. We have the information. We just didn't give it to you. Like, it's petty. That's petty. And by the way, if you are so worried about undermining confidence and credibility in the election system, then you've just done that yourself. You've just done it yourself. By behaving in that fashion, you now give people cause for suspicion. And for them, it proves what they already wanted to see proven. You gave them another question to ask. This was, uh, I forget who it was that uh, made this argument a long time ago. It was about 9-11, though, in the truther movement. And and, and there's a similarity. And when you hear this, you're going to identify it. You're going to be able to identify it a lot. It's arguing, and the the criticism was actually against Michael Moore, the filmmaker, because he did the the 9-11 thing, right? And... um, what was that? It doesn't matter. I was trying to think of the name of the movie he did, but also the loose change and all this stuff. What they do is they argue by, oh, I know who it was. It was Gwen Eiffel from NPR. And she said that he argues by juxtaposition. It's, it's argument by insinuation. 
there's never actual, uh, actually an assertion. And by the way, sometimes you'll hear me say that when I discuss, like if I'm with a caller or um, that's usually when it comes up is somebody calls in and they start asking me questions. And because time is limited on a radio show, but also because I don't appreciate in, uh, people interrogating me in order to get me to uh, a conclusion, right? Um, and so I usually just say, and, and that is a tactic, by the way, in debate, the interrogator uses that as a tactic. Uh, and so I'm not going to play that game. So just make the assertion. And I will tell people that. Just make your assertion. What is it that you want to say? Say it. Be assertive. Be, be, be assertive. So, you you know, be assertive. Make the, uh, the argument. And then I am able to respond to that. But by you asking me questions and me answering them, it just provides, it just kills time. And it provides all these different avenues to run down separately without ever getting to the main point. So... If you have the assertion, make the assertion. And what a lot of conspiracy theorists do is they will line up a bunch of questions like Michael Moore does. And then they'll, they'll, they'll got this question. I got this question. I got this question. And then what do you think it means? And then, and they don't answer it. And that's not persuasive to me. You got to have the assertion, right? Just like in a court of law. Maybe this is my, you know, hang up here is that I've spent a lot of time watching <laughs> trials uh, and, you know, and, and covering court cases and trials. You have to make the argument. You got to tie it together. You use the evidence. You can ask the questions, but you got to answer the questions for the jury. If you are expecting them to return a verdict that you want, right? You got to answer the questions. You got to prove something or you got to get really close to proving. Um, unless, of course, you're the defense attorney, and then you know, you're just trying to uh, raise reasonable doubt, and that's all they're doing. But that's not proof. Raising a reasonable doubt does not prove your case. All right, uh, so let me, let me shift gears here, because i got to get this audio in, because this is like I'm running out of time. So, um, Renee Johnson, she's a Charlotte city councilwoman, and uh, at the last zoning meeting, she sought a report on how schools are impacted based on pending and approved rezoning petitions uh, from uh, over the last year is what she wanted the data from. And this is a concern because it's just like our traffic studies. We're not keeping cumulative totals. Um, if one or one petition doesn't impact at 2,500, then we just say it's really no impact when we know there's a cumulative effect, especially in areas like three and four and, and two in these high growth districts. And I, yeah, so. I, I don't make an apology for continuing to ask about the, st the schools this week, because last week these schools were top story in the news. Um, All right. So rezoning petition that's going to add like a dozen kids to a school and she's tying it to the drive-by shooting that led to the death of the three-year-old baby. So, rezoning equals crime. That drive-bys. Rezonings equal drive-by. All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I got to get to the, uh, the rest of this audio because then Ryan will mock me. Uh, so... Uh, Charlotte City Councilwoman Renee Johnson saying, I'm very concerned that we're approving these rezonings and it's gonna, this one's going to lead to 12 more students at this school. And this school was in the news because there was a kid somewhere that got shot. And Right, okay. So this was her argument. And then the mayor, pro tem, Julie Isolt, she's like, I'm not really understanding your point here. 
Can I just ask my colleague, I'm not sure I understand yeah. the connection on what you're trying to say because, okay. All right, go ahead. No, no I, I, I want to know because this is a concern, but to me it's a concern all over the city. So I'm just, I, I want to know what the connection is that that you're talking about really with these schools and the, the crimes they had, which are tragic, but I don't know, I just don't understand what that has to do with with this. 70% right. of black children are failing in CMS. Mm -hmm. But are you implying that this would add black children who are at a poverty level? Predominantly, to predominantly black schools, if we know they're overcrowded and we continue to add more students and ignore the fact that they're overcrowded. Yes, overcrowding schools affects how a child learns. Teacher-student ratio affects how a child learns. So I don't disagree with that. So if we know that the schools are overcrowded, and, I, and, and we keep saying, well, if we just, you know, this, this one petition doesn't affect the schools. Well, how many of these petitions have we had? We had at least two in the last half an hour where the percentage yeah. hasn't changed. I, so I just don't disagree, but every single one we've had for the six years I've been on council involved putting more students into overcrowded schools. And we also say that if we add students of higher incomes, students of different races to sit next to other students, that that changes the makeup of a school. And I don't know that we're looking at the, at that in these developments. And I, I'm just, I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah, I just I want to understand oh the connection. Goodness, this is getting into some awkward territory. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey, right, so we can, so we can overcrowd a school if the family has a high enough socioeconomic status? Is that the, or is it a racialized kind of a thing too? Overcrowding. Yeah, this is, oh man, I remember the old fights of the deconsolidate CMS. Oh, those were heady days. I know that I'm not wrong and, and with all due respect, I would not want to sit here six years later and say that we've known that schools have been over overcrowded and we're continuing to approve development. So I think that that's part of the problem. We we have to make changes. Our children are failing. All right. So sounds like no more rezoning approval, uh, guys. Sorry, like that. No more rezonings. No more development. Uh, the schools are overcrowded, and because they're overcrowded, all of the kids are failing. And then they uh, they do drive-bys, and they murder three-year-olds. That is the obvious connection. Uh, it was uh, so obvious it plum evaded me. But um, yeah, that, that, that's uh, that's uh, Charlotte City Councilwoman Renee Johnson. Um, she then suggested a connection between density and crime because systemic racism or something. And I know we we have a need for more density in housing. I know that. Okay. But tonight. Um because last week, again, we kept hearing these schools, and, and now I don't think this week that we can ignore that. If there's a problem with these schools and there's systemic problems at these schools, it's not just the teachers, it's not the parents, uh, it, it's, it's a community. It takes a village. Right, it does. So mm. I think you're right. Mm. Yes. Mm. But I think that's how, that, that, that's the proper response, is you, you purse your lips together, furrow of the brow. Mm, yes. You nod your head. Yeah, yes. I'm just, this is what I've seen on TV. Like a lot of the, like the daytime TV shows, they, well, they don't really have those anymore, do they? Well, I guess they do. They show the audience and they're all like, hmm, yes. Very true. 
So it's not the parents. You heard her say there. It's not the parents. It's not the teachers. And it's not the kids. It's, I guess, it's probably not like anybody in CMS. And it's not anybody uh, who is sending their kids to CMS. And it's not the kids. It's, it's systemic. It takes a village. It's everybody. But it's not them. But it's everybody else. Who? Don't know. It's like punching smoke with these people. Like, really. Like, how... This, this, this is the thing about the, quote, systemic racism that is an institutional racism. The thing that's so frustrating is, like, show me, this is what, you know, Ben Shapiro years ago said, show me the racist and I'll help you get rid of the racist. Like, yeah, hey, that guy's a racist. Let's not, you know, hire him or let's not go to his talk or whatever. Like, don't buy his music, right? You find somebody who's the racist, then cool, we can solve that problem. But when you say it's just this thing, it's just, like, all around us at all times, but nobody's specifically to blame for any specific thing, it's just, oh, this is just, you know, systemic. Well, well, what's the, what am I supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with this information? Like, wh- wh- what were you actually asking for the city council to do? It's being proposed that there's a piece of land, somebody owns this land, they would like to develop it, and they have to go to you for approval, and you're like, oh, well, I don't like the fact that it's going to create 12 students for the local school. Okay, so no more development, right? Or what, only development that doesn't have students? Is that the idea? But get this. Councilman Larkin Eggleston pointed out um, the math, which is also racist, by the way. Here's the math on it. I just want to make sure. We're talking about the students that are added compared to the fact that the land is undeveloped. But on, on page six, the school's response to this petition is that under the current zoning, if it were developed under the current zoning that it has, it would generate 38 students. If this rezoning is approved, it would generate 25 students. So it's actually 13 less than could be generated by the zoning category that exists now. So it is an addition compared to there being nothing there now, but it's actually a subtraction compared to what could be built by right today. Right. So the land exists is undeveloped right now. If they wanted to build it, they could by right. That's what that means. By right, right now, they could build a, a, a development that would create about 36 or whatever it was kids and for the school. But their proposal would generate fewer kids. And that's still not good enough. So what, you're going to deny the rezoning petition? So then they can build what they can already build by right there and end up with more students. See, this is... Pennywise, pound foolish, or short-sighted, whatever you want to say. Like, this is just, it's it's this, can't somebody do something kind of response? And I get it. I understand. Like, people feel frustrated at the violence and, like, we need to get to the root of this thing. But please let me submit. It's not the rezoning petitions that's causing the drive-by shootings, okay? It's, it's not, it's not the reason. It's something else. I want to explore that a little bit more. It's, <laughs> it's not it's not the rezonings. All right. Uh, Brett Winderbull coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Stick around for that. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.